0: Hi, and welcome to the River of Life Assembly of God podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our prayer is that today's message will impact your life in a positive way. We believe there is power in the Word of God. So open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. Amen. Can we just lift our hands to heaven right now? Come on, let's give God some thanks. Continue to give Him thanks. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in this season. Father, we don't take it for granted. We don't take credit. We don't take glory. All glory, all honor goes to you, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord. We just rejoice in you. And Father God, we just pray that your spirit would continue to be with us this next while that we're together. Father God, as we just continue to break open the word of God, as we continue to enjoy your presence, Father God, we just pray that your spirit would be at home and continue to be at home and let lives be touched, let hearts be touched, let families be touched. Father God, we pray that your word would go forth into the fertile soil of the hearts of your people this morning. Father God, that lives would be transformed in the name of Jesus. Everybody say Amen. How many so grateful? Amen. I just had a moment there, and I was hoping it didn't last too long because I'm wearing contacts and they get all blurry. But as that drone went up and hit that building, guys, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been a long time praying. It's been a long time believing. It's been a long time planning. It's been a long fighting. in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can sit down, have a seat. If you need to run, you can run. Oh, my Lord in heaven, help us in this place. I gotta be honest with you, when we started service, there was like five of us here, and I thought, you know what? It's Labor Day weekend. We're gonna be preaching to the chairs. But look at you guys. God bless you, man. You guys are like, give yourselves a hand. Come on. Thank you, Kennedy, for playing. Thank you very much, dear. Thank you, Nancy, for leading worship this morning. Come on, we give them some love. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. I tell you what, God is doing some amazing things right now. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you in the ride? Are you in the ride? Let me just encourage you guys. I've been telling all the different ministries that, 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 that I deal with on a regular basis that God is doing some great things. I don't want anybody to get lost in the shuffle. Stay close, keep your ear to the ground, keep your eyes open to, the, to what, what's going on in social media because God is moving and he is doing a lot of great things. There's a lot of things that are happening, a lot of updates and a lot of things that we don't want anybody to miss it. Well, this morning, guys, I'm so excited. I, I, I'm so excited. This is the message Pastor Eddie was talking about. We were flipping coins and drawing straws and, and everything last week, and the Lord dropped something kind of different, and you'll see when we get into it. It's kind of different, okay? So it's a little different. So I'm going to lay a bit of a foundation and then... Um, and we're going to get into the teaching this morning, but Pastor last week talked a, 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 a message about keeping the treasure during the transition. And the Lord had given me this scripture a couple of weeks ago, and, and I didn't have a name for it or a title for it, but the Lord gave me this. We're going to do this this week called keeping your vision in the transition. Amen? Keeping your vision in the transition. And we've already prayed this morning, but go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Third John. Now, normally we stand and we read a text, but this is different this morning where we're going to actually go through this whole book. And if you've never read it, you probably just had a heart attack, but you realize it's only a few verses. <laughs> we're going to go through this whole book and we're going to go through it uh, verse by verse and kind of pick it apart. Uh, so, you'll, so I just want you to get there and then, then, then uh, before you get there, we're going to keep talking. Third John, and then when you get there, just just leave it open and leave it, leave it booted up, whatever you're using this morning. And I want to share something with you. You know, church work and ministry work, people may or may not realize, but it truly is a lot like gardening. It truly is a lot like farming and that sort of thing. And as you know, there's a time to plant. There's a time to pull weeds. There's a time to put in some seeds. There's a time to shout. There's a time to spin. There's a time to give God glory. There's a time to celebrate. There's a time to worship. There's a time to cry. There's a time to do all these things. Well, today I believe in my heart that God is going to, he challenged me with a word to kind of put into the soil of kind of fertilizing the soil of river of life. Amen. So this word is going to go forth and and be into the soil of what, what we're doing. That's why we're talking about keeping the vision during transition. Last week, that pastor talked about the treasures and the things, the old treasures, and, and our values and, and, and our identity and that sort of thing, as well as the new things that are coming upon this new location. Those weren't just picked at random, those were from our vision. And we're going to talk about the power of vision. So I wrote a few things down about vision. Vision is a very powerful thing. Look at this in Proverbs 29 18. It says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish so we're told without vision there is no life the second scripture is this in habakkuk 2 2 it can take a long 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 time sometimes it says this he says write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run with it who reads it now in the original language that means that that the herald would take it and cry it through town you know what i'm saying for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry, and I put in parentheses, forever. Because sometimes we get, we get when the road gets long and things don't seem to work the way we want them to, we have a tendency to give up, don't we? But let me just remind you this morning the promise we have in the Word of God. Though it tarries, though it delays, though it takes forever, like your mom at the grocery store when you were a kid and she was only getting a few things. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Though it takes a long time, the checkout aisle is coming, where you can redeem all the promises of God. You can redeem all the coupons that come down from the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was good. That wasn't even in my notes. All right. I like that. Woo! Vision is a powerful thing because how many of y'all know that it's hard to go somewhere if you can't see where you're going We have a poor dog who we've, he's 12 and a half years old y'all 12 and a half years old. He's got arthritis He's got cataracts. He can't see he's got mouth problems, but he's our little dog Sully And we love him to death and this poor guy walks into the walls. He walks into the chairs He walks into your leg. He walks into himself. He walks into everything because he can't see where he's going. That's the power of vision. That's the power of vision. So we're going to talk about this at a little bit of a personal level. In case you haven't realized that vision is powerful in your life, listen to this. Vision can be lost in the seasons of your life. Let me just talk to you just for a moment. I'm going to talk to you personally, then I'm going to talk about corporately in the body of Christ. Listen to me. Sometimes your vision can get lost during the transition of your life. So many times we get started with all these hopes and all these dreams, and we start, you know, maybe you, you, you're, you're in high school and you're going to get that degree and you start going to college and then something doesn't work out, or maybe you, you get married to that, that beautiful spouse that you've been praying for and getting, and, and then all of a sudden you start to get children coming on the scene. All of a sudden you start to get jobs coming on the scene. Then you got a house note, then a car note, then everybody's note. And before you know it, all the, your, your vision is getting lost in the transition of life because you start out with all these hopes and dreams, and I'm going to be this and I'm gonna be that and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and there comes a point in life when you just want to get your pants on how many know what I'm talking about how many know that that life is like a roller coaster that just doesn't stop sometimes well I got good news for you church I believe the Lord is telling his people that now is the time to get your vision back now is the time to get your promises back now is the time to get those things that have been sealed up in you long enough says the Lord it's time to get your vision back Write this down if, if you're taking notes. Listen to this quote. It says, ambition gives you drive, but vision gives you direction. Oh, th- th- this is. let me give you an illustration. How many of you all know what a moped is? <laughs> my cousin back in the day, my cousin, he had a, a knack for getting these things, and he got himself a moped. A moped, sorry, Grace, a moped is uh, one of those bikes that has a little lawnmower engine on it, and the thing kind of turns so you can pedal and then stop, and the thing takes you around. Well, his was was a big bike, you know, it was real big, way too big for either one of us. And so I got on there, and, and talking about vision and ambition are two different things. So I was very ambitious to get on this moped. It was running, and I couldn't wait to get on it, and I hit that gas all the way, and before I knew it, I'm heading right to the wall of a garage. And I got really scared, and I put my feet down, and the pedals dug into the back of my cab, And it was just a terrible terrible wipeout that I had I had ambition, but I had no vision for where I was going with that motorcycle That's how our life can be sometimes and can I tell you that this is where we lose it y'all This is where we lose it because life can take your ambition sometimes life can take your want to Sometimes we got all the things we need that God has given us in our life But if we lack a want to you're not going to And ambition is our want to. And ambition is our drive. But it's not our vision. And so many times we lose our ambition through the seasons of life, through the heartaches of life, through the challenges of life that we forget about who we really are. We forget about who our true identity is. We forget about who we're meant to be and what we're meant to do because of the seasons of our life. But I'm here to tell you this morning, church, just because you may have lost your ambition for a while doesn't mean you've lost your vision. It's time to get it back. It's time to put on the glasses again and get your sight. I've been talking a lot about vision lately. Vision, my dad had a saying, and I love it, and he always would tell us, boys, the most important thing is, every time we talk about planning the church and how the church is doing and we're going to start doing this and all that, we've been here 17 years. That was a long time. And I remember dad would always say, keep the main thing, the main thing, and we'll be okay. Every time we start talking about this and talk about that, whether it be good or bad, he would say, boys, keep the main thing the main thing. And sometimes we got to remind ourselves that. All these little things of life, they're not the main thing. All these little distractions, all these little times of of heartache, all these little seasons of drought, all these little things that come our way, it's not the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Even if your ambition runs out of gas, even if your moped makes you crash into a wall, keep the vision of who you really are. Mm, Come on now. Vision speaks, this is how important vision is, vision speaks to your destination and your purpose. Let me say it like this, your vision gives you your identity. Not your ambition, your vision gives you identity. Whether you have a job, whether you have a ministry, whatever you're trying to start, you have to first start with what? A few things, a business plan, okay, and a few other things are core values, who you are, what you're going to do. Why do you have all these things? Because it gives you your identity. Did you ever ask a little kid where they want to be when they grow up? How many of y'all knew what you wanted to be when you grow up? Okay, nobody. All right, a couple of us. When I was a kid, I wanted to be everything. depending on what movie I saw. If I was watching Top Gun, I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. If I was watching, I'm going to name all these movies, but if I was watching this, I wanted to be a cop. If I was naming this, I wanted to be an Army guy. If I was doing this, I wanted to be that. You know, I was kind of one of those guys. But your identity, your vision gives you identity because it starts shaping you in the direction you want to come. If you're like me, every Sunday night when you have that last slice of pizza, you say this, tomorrow starts my diet. For real this time. I'm going to lose this weight, and and I'm going to lose this weight. How many of y'all have ever done that? How many of y'all didn't follow through on Monday? I ain't looking because this is what happens I've I've had times in my life when I've done that and I've had times in my life when I did get serious about it and I lost weight here's the difference difference being on that Sunday night I would say I'm gonna lose weight you know I'm just gonna eat better work out better and do all this stuff I'm gonna be fine and then the next morning I get up and forget I even said that and have an egg egg McMuffin the difference on the other times is when I said you know what I'm gonna lose weight and I'm gonna lose X amount of pounds so I put an identity to it I'm putting I'm gonna start losing X amount of pounds and then you say I'm gonna start losing X amount of pounds by X amount of time and then you start saying, in order for me to do that, I got to start going to the gym X amount of times a week. In order for me to do that, I got to cut my calories. But you see how it works? You see how vision gives you identity? Without knowing your destination, you're just going to flounder through life. You're going to flounder through ministry. You're going to flounder in existence. You've got to have vision to give you an identity, to give you a destination. Y'all going to make me preach hard today, aren't you? Come on. You got to say, man, give me some help up here. You ever watch this show, Fixer Upper, stuff like that? You walk into a place, I struggle with that. I tend to walk into a place and see a dump and walk right back out. Now, my wife is the total opposite. We had an old picnic table in the back of the house that someone gave us many years ago, and it was very thick and sturdy, and it was very heavy duty. Well, it was neglected out in the back corner of the yard, and and the finish had come off, and there were some parts that had broken off and rotted off, and I was just going to take a chainsaw to it, God's favorite tool, and just start cutting it up and have a big bonfire and call it a day. And my wife said, no, 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 no. She said, no, no, no. She said, I've got a vision for that table. She said, give me a few dollars. I mean, no, there were a few dollars. Give me a few dollars and give me a couple of days and watch what I do to that picnic table. I said, sure, dear. Let's go to the store, get you some paint, get you some tools. She got some sandpaper. She got some this. She got some of that. She got some brushes. And I came home that next day and I walked in my backyard and there was this what looked like a brand new picnic table. That was sanded, that was prepped, that was painted. This color I didn't think was gonna work, but it looked beautiful. And this thing's sitting there like as if I paid a couple hundred dollars to it. And I told her, I said, see, you should have listened to me sooner. We could have had this picnic table. Vision gives you identity, and that gives you destination. Mmm. I gotta hurry up so I can get into the message this morning. It's all just bonus. Without it, you would drift away Listen, sometimes in our life, the most dangerous place we could be Is when all of our dreams come true Listen to me Listen to me A person without any kind of ambition in life Is like a ship in the sea without no motor Without no sail And they're just tossed to and fro There's a term that's floating out there called plateauism When you get to a place in life When you've achieved all the things that you wanted to And then what? There's where we mess up There's what we tend to mess up in all realms of life. We start making foolish decisions because we don't care anymore. We don't have a purpose. We don't have a vision. I could go down that road for a long time. We start making foolish financial decisions. We start making foolish physical decisions, relational decisions. We up and do something really dumb and wreck the rest of our lives. Why? Because we have no, there's no purpose. There's nothing to push us. There's no vision. There's no vision. We took a whole month this summer in our youth ministry and talked about vision. We had guest speakers come in, and, we, and my, I have my son sitting right here, who's 17, going to be in a, in a few weeks, a, high, a senior in high school. So we're having a lot of those talks. We've been having a lot of those talks. What you going to be? Where are you going to be? And you're going to be sitting in your boxer shorts playing Nintendo Switch in your bedroom when you're 30 years old. We ain't going to do that. And I can, and I can. Uh, he beat me to. I was saving that line, and he beat me to it. When we were having a talk the other day. He said, "I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that." Thank you, son. He's got an ambition. I'm proud of this guy right here. I'm proud of this guy. Well you've got to have some goals, church. Listen, you need to, and I'm just told you, maybe you're not a goal person. You need to write down some goals for you and your family. You need to write them things down. You need to have a short-term goal, something you can accomplish in the next couple of years. You need to have a midterm goal, something within the next five to ten years. And then you have something that's a long-term goal that's ten years or above. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get, and, and don't make them all in the next five. In the next five years, I'm going to write a book, be rich, have three businesses, have 45 employees. Don't do that because you're not going to do that. And then you're going to fizzle out. And then you're going to be discouraged. And then I'm going to have to come behind you and pump up some vision, pump up some destiny, pump up some identity. And whoa, okay, start it again. Tomorrow I'm going to lose 50 pounds by the end of September. <laughs> you also need to have a new one that's out there. How many thank God for the new stuff? Thank God for the new stuff. There's a new one out there called a the Lifetime Maintenance Goal. I thought, well, I never heard of that before. I never heard of it. Maybe you've heard of it. I never heard of it. These are things that you never accomplish. You just keep doing them. That's what I did. Hmm. I'm reading this. Things you never accomplish, they just, you just keep doing them as in exercise routines, as in emotional uh, health routines, Sabbaths, um, different things like that. Things that you continue to do, you don't accomplish them. They're called lifetime maintenance goals. For a long term healthy life. How many knows that? And we're gonna read it in just a minute that God's will is for you to have a long, happy, healthy life. Amen. That's God's will for you and me. It is. So, I was so talking about you personal. Okay, that was some personal motivation. So, let's turn the corner how this applies to the church right now, to, to River of Life Assembly of God. There's no secret that we're, you just saw a video, we're in transition. Let me just encourage you, church, right now that we cannot lose sight of our vision during this transition. So I, I, I want to break this down. So let's talk about what is the church, what is not the church. Why are we spending lots of money? Somebody say lots of money. Why are we spending lots of money and lots of time? You know, all, you, all the planning, I've been we've been having headaches and all kinds of stuff, just trying to get all these ducks in a row and all these meetings. And then one, one thing gets fixed and something else comes up and then another thing comes up and everybody's asking, when are we doing this? We don't know. <laughs> Just be ready. (laughs) It's like the rapture of the church I don't I don't know when it's gonna be but I can tell you it's gonna be soon. So when it's ready. Come on We need you here The Lord said when I come to start my work, I'm gonna do it suddenly in revelation That's how I feel right now So we're having to put all of our ducks in a row and it's really hard to do when you don't have a destination time So all these things are in pencil. So please be patient and we know that everybody is and be understanding But why are we going through all this aggravation? Is it just because we can have a new big building? There's many new big buildings all over the place. God is not interested in that. What is the reason? We're going to talk about this morning. Listen to me. Sometimes in life, the most dangerous thing in our hands is not necessarily, there's, and without starting a controversy, there's a lot, of, a lot of things about, you know, weaponry or heavy equipment, things like that, that can be very dangerous. A lot of times it's not that item in and of itself that's dangerous. It's that item in the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to use it. You understand what I'm saying? the most dangerous thing in our life sometimes is when we have something powerful and we don't want to we don't know how to use it i pray to god that we don't get to this wonderful facility and we don't know how to use it and it takes us out one by one i've seen it i've seen it traveling on the road with my father for those couple of years that lindsay and i did we would go to churches that had these great big expansions 500 seat sanctuaries with 75 people in a little front couple of rows because they lost the vision during the transition and we're going to talk a lot about that this morning a couple of weeks ago we were watching a movie wally disney pixar's wally how you know what i'm not talking about wally. that was bad but you know what i'm talking about <laughs> one of my favorite part of that i love wally because in the part the first part of the movie when he's there by himself in this desolate earth i love when he goes back to his little workshop how do you know what i'm talking about and, and he's, he's, he picks up the spork, and he, he's a collector, right? So he's got everything in, in little buckets and little things, and he's got a bucket of forks and a bucket of spoons, and he takes a spork, and he don't know which one to go. So he just puts it in the middle, you know, you know, that scene, and he's just going through all of his. He's got lighters, and he's got other things that, that's hilarious. One of my favorite ones is he, he goes by a toaster, and he hits the button, and out pops a VHS. A VHS is a rectangular black plastic thing with... <laughs> And it shows movies, but that's what he thought toaster was for, to hold your VHS. I thought that was hilarious. Boy, isn't that so prophetic? Sometimes we get this thing called church. We don't have a clue what we're doing, but we're just putting things in the wrong spot and hurting people and, and hurting ourselves. And letting up. That can be how church can be sometimes. As we continue down this travel, down this road of building and relocating, whatever we do, let us be reminded of what the church actually is and how we're going to preserve it. I wrote this down. Let us not get too preoccupied with the church building that we forget about the church body. Jesus didn't die for walls and pews. He died for the hurting and for the lost. That's the church. The church isn't brick and mortar. The church isn't roofs and walls. The church is for the hurting. The church is for the broken. The church is for those that are destitute and lost without Jesus Christ. That's what the church is for and that's part of our vision. That is our vision I've been to churches and so of you that they practically worship their building and worship their facility. This is just a building Yes, Yes, we take care of it. Yes We honor it as it is the house of God But as pastor said a couple weeks ago, God doesn't let that cat out of the bag and he told his servant David He said I can't dwell in a little building built by men because the heavens are in my hand and the earth is my footstool So this little place is not a shrine it's just a place that we can meet. So let us not worship the four walls. Let us worship the one that made those four walls. Amen? So we have to see this big picture. And that's why we're here at Third John. And I'm going to get to it and go through this quite quickly. To the book of Third John. This is a little book that most of us maybe have never read or maybe once. And we've kind of forgotten about the writings of John. The first, second, and third epistles toward the end of the book. But I want to just give some scope because I believe we're going to learn some lessons that have to do everything I was just saying. In this letter that was written by the aging Apostle John, we see that people are always people. Isn't that true? We we sometimes think that 2019 has never happened before. What am I going to say? Okay, I'm not some kooky time travel guy. But what I'm saying is people are always going to be people. People are always going to love each other and hate each other. People are always going to try to excel and have no one bit. You're going to have all the spectrums of people, no matter if it's 2019 or 1920 or 019 or 050. it, It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying. But this book gives us a little peek into the early church. Now, some books, wish we could be in Joshua, which we will be soon, they're talking about the great conquest or talking about Exodus, talking about heroes like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Moses and Jesus and Peter and Paul. We're not talking about any of those guys today. This book doesn't contain any of those guys. This book is primarily about two leaders in the early church called Gaius and Diatrophes. I've never heard of those two other guys. In fact, they're not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture other than this passage right here. But I believe these two mindsets can be alive in our church today. There's something special about this book that God would see fit in eternity past to preserve it in our scripture right alongside Joshua and Matthew and Luke and Exodus and second Kings that's right in there with the Bible. So we need to honor that and we need to realize that this is here for a reason. And the Lord showed me something here a couple of weeks ago, and and I I felt that it kind of prophetically pertained to our church right now. So we're gonna get into that. So we're gonna go into this verse by verse, and we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna break it apart, okay? So don't get too comfortable, but here we go. Third John. Third John. Now, to give you a little bit of background of Third John, I'm sorry, that was a false alarm. We're not gonna read yet. So, Third John, so you gotta understand, the, the, the early church, okay, how many know you can't get any more transitional than the early church? And we're going to talk about the last living apostle, the apostle John, who kept his vision during transition while he was living, while all his friends were getting beheaded and all his friends were getting crucified. They tried to put him in boiling oil and put him on an island. They couldn't kill this man. You talk about transition. You talk about talk about being tempted to lose your vision. I think John had a good defense for that but he didn't. He kept the vision all the way to the very end, and we're going to see his vision play out in this little community church because back in those days, they didn't have solid church government that we have now. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have all these mass communication things. They didn't even have church buildings as nice as this one. Some of them had no building at all. Others had little tiny places, so you got to understand that this early church was a whole different dynamic So the apostle John was trying to oversee all these churches from one location. So he would send these letters and he would send these things out. And that's what gets into the rub. We see a conflict between these two men in the early church. And in case you hadn't noticed, sometimes doing a project, whether building or relocating, can cause some conflict. Not here. That's the 1130 people. So number one, let's look at third John. I've got about 15 minutes to preach this message. All right, let's go. So, Third John, I love this where it says the elder. Look up at me just for a minute. I told you we're going to stop and go. The elder. I love this. This simply says who John the apostle is. This man had moved past titles. He didn't have to be called Pastor John, Elder John, Prophetess John, Minister John, Psalmist John, whoever John, he's just simply the elder. How many know that the elder just, ooh, that just sounds like, The elder. You got Yoda. Come on now. You got the elder. (laughs) Let's look at this author called Apostle John. The elder. I'm going to stop right there. This man had been around and saw some things. This man had, what my first point is, this church, in order for us to maintain the vision, is we got to have a good perspective. We got that one up? We got that one. Perspective. This is what that means. The capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. Perspective. Perspective. In the eyes of a child, a dentist looks like this big giant villain with a bunch of torture tools that wants to hurt them. But in the eyes of a dentist, he's a loving or she's a loving individual that wants to provide care for this little child who has a bad tooth. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. This man is coming from the perspective of an elder. John is writing from the perspective of someone who him, along with his colleagues, were literally giving their lives for this early church. They were, as I said a moment ago, they were being beheaded. They were being tortured. They were being crucified for this thing called the local church. So this man had a perspective that is way more than any of us can have. Church, can I tell you that if more of our society, more of our churches need to have a kingdom perspective. We would have a whole lot less turmoil, a whole lot less arguing, a whole lot less strife in our world today if we could just have a kingdom perspective. Someone say amen. Just a couple of weeks ago, we brought in a gentleman for our special needs training who went to a different church, a different group of churches on the other side of town. And we, started talking, we stood right here talking about that. We didn't get into the deep fundamentals and the deep this, and we didn't start comparing our footnotes and about NKJV or your NIV or LSNOP, whatever you carry, whatever you read from. We didn't talk about none of that. We were rejoicing that God would bring together two ministries that may have a little, they, may, they weren't an AG uh, group, but we had two different churches and two different ministries trying to reach the same people. Yes. Let me just tell you without hurting somebody, ain't none of us got the whole thing right. How much strife would be presented if we just had a kingdom perspective? Would we be more tolerant of people? Would we maybe not fly off the handle all the time? Listen to this. Proverbs 18:13 says this. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. Think about that the next time you half hear a story and jump off the cliff. Think about that the next time somebody crosses you and you just blow up at them like some kind of atomic bomb. We don't have the right to treat one another that way. If we had a kingdom perspective, we would not treat them, them that way. As I said, the apostle John was coming from the perspective of someone who cared. He was giving his life. He cared. Church, we got to have a good perspective. The next thing that John and this apostle, before we keep reading, the elder, this elder, this awesome elder was a guardian of truth. We are here to preserve true doctrine. In the New Testament, truth truth appears almost 120 times. Almost half of those are in John's writing alone. In the Gospel of John, truth is mentioned almost 30 times. In the other three Gospels collectively, it's mentioned eight. John was a man of truth. Church, we got to have that in our vision as well. We've got to preserve the truth. You see, 1 John, when you begin reading, you see the whole set of John's day. John was dealing with an early church that was forming, but there was much false doctrine in the church called Gnosticism. If you're unfamiliar with Gnosticism, it was a blend of Eastern mysticism. They denied that Jesus had a physical body. They denied that a loving God could create evil matter, and they had all these different debates, all these different things. How many of that sound a little bit familiar? They had all these different things, and, and then on top of that, they had a wave of worldliness that was coming into the church. They had a wave of secularism that was coming into the church. That's why John just made it very plain and said, if you love the world and the things of it, you don't know the Father. John introduced a saying called, you have seen Christ, that no one else had used, but John used it. Because he alone had saw Christ, and he began to get through all the politics of church. God isn't looking for some more church people. He's looking for some more true disciples of Jesus Christ. He's looking for some people that will walk like him and talk like him and think like him and be patient like him. That's who Jesus is looking for. And so I think we could all agree that there is attack on truth today. How many would agree with that? There is attack on truth today. Who's right? Who's wrong? I'm right. You're right. We can't both be right. There has to be a truth. There has to be a truth by denying that truth or making multiple truths denies the definition of the word truth somebody's got to be wrong somebody's got to be wrong somebody has to have account for who's right and who is wrong church we have to be guardians of the truth we have to be guardians of the truth and the lord dropped this into my spirit i was just it just blessed my heart so much because i believe this that as john was the guardian of truth in his day. Remember, he was the last living apostle. He was at the latter end of all the teachings of Jesus. All the disciples were gone. All that stuff maybe could have been fizzling out and beginning to wane, and John was there left alone holding the bag. John was there left alone preserving the truth the best he could, and the Lord rewarded him with perhaps the greatest revelation, the book, the book of revelation. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Steve, if my people would rise up and be guardians of the truth this day, I would give them a revelation that would supersede John's. I believe if the church would stand up and be voices of truth and the church would stand up, whether you're popular or unpopular, it's not about right and wrong. It's about standing and preserving the word of truth. And if we would have enough guts in our bodies and enough nerve upon us that we would stand for the reason of truth, I believe God would give us the greatest revelation. Maybe that would even be the rapture of the church. I don't know. The next thing about our vision church is we have to always remember that the kingdom, much like this book, is all about people. We have to preserve people. In our vision of who we are, we have to preserve truth, we have to preserve a good perspective, but we have to preserve people. Can't say that three times fast. This whole book is talking about a man named Gaius, a man named Atrophies. We're going to talk about this man, Gaius. Let me just tell you something, guys. Church, let me just, for whoever this means, we need to understand that people are not dispensable or disposable. People are people. let's read here, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Because of those words, we understand that Gaius was a beloved friend of the apostle John. How many know there's church people and then there's church people? How many know there's people that just come, but there's people you know you can call when the basement floods? There's people that just come, but there's people that call when you have an event and need some extra help. There's people in the church. Gaius was one of those people. Gaius was not just one of those guys that talked the talk. Gaius was one of those guys that was probably in an Apostle John's cell phone, maybe even on a speed dial. Because he knew if he had something happening, he knew he could count on a guy named Gaius. Because he called him beloved. He called him friend. The next statement he says is that I love you in truth. It refers, John is reinforcing his belief in the truth. John is saying, brother, I believe you and I affirm you as a friend in the truth. Let me just tell you right now that many people look at pastors and world-renowned names and world-renowned speakers for all this inspiration and all these preachers and all these artists for inspiration. But let me tell you that God is not impressed with the size of a person's ministry. He is impressed with the level of their surrender. Can somebody say amen to that? Because how many know that we can operate in our natural gifts and our natural abilities? God has given some people some great natural abilities of speaking and songwriting and delivering and doing this. But it is only the anointing that breaks the yoke, the Bible says. It's not about our passion. It's not about our details. It's not about all the things we can do excellent. It is by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, says the Lord. I was reminded, we recently took a flight, and I had a window seat, and I was looking at the wing, and and, uh, what caught my eye were all these rivets in this wing, and as big and majestic as this wing was, it was put together by these little pieces of sheet metal, and all these little rivets, and you know what surprised me was all those little rivets had a little number next to it. I didn't know that. We get a whole aviation course at 30,000 feet watching this wing, and I'm watching all these rivets that had little numbers. Why? Because they all mattered. If one of those rivets popped, they had to be replaced. I look at Gaius as like a rivet in the church. He wasn't the wing. He wasn't the engine. He wasn't the pilot. He wasn't the interior, that little air thing that you can turn and blows air and makes you nice and cool. He was a rivet. He was a rivet. He didn't have a name. He didn't have a title. He didn't have any kind of responsibility other than hold this wing together. Can I tell you that, guys, the more I I get along in life, and I don't pretend to be old, but being raised in the church, you learn how to not get impressed with people. And I don't mean it to hurt anybody's feelings, but you learn that. You just learn it by default. And so what happens is I'm becoming more respectful of the rivets of the church People that come that are not looking for a stage, people that come that are not looking for credit, people that come that are not looking for a title or an office or a parking spot with their name on it, but people that come that genuinely want to serve the work of God, people that are willing to do whatever you need, wherever you need, whenever you need, and they're not looking for the spotlight. We need some more rivets in the church. We need some more regular men and regular women who people would look down as sparrows of society, but that's who we need to run the church. God has never built his church upon people of, of status and one or two people. Whenever you see ministries that are built around one or two people, when they leave or they pass on, their ministry falls flat. I don't want that to happen to me. I want when my time comes to step out of my role and everything even happened better because that's how I know I've done my job right. It's not about me. It's not about what I do, but it's about those that are coming behind me. In Matthew 7, we're told, Jesus told us that, Heaven is going to be filled with a lot of people that didn't have a big, giant ministry, a big, giant name. He's going to tell the people that did all these great things, I never knew you. We know that passage. I have to keep going. I'm not going to get through this. All right, we're going to put this on fast forward. So let's go back to our verse here, verse 2. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Many, many theologians believe that this man was suffering physical ailment. That's why John put this in there, to encourage him. Let me just tell you right now that there are people in our church, even River of Life, that serve with with illnesses that serve with conditions god bless you for serving in the pain god bless you for working in the hardship god bless you for serving when your family's falling apart god bless you for serving when your bank account is empty god bless you for serving when you got body aches and headaches and life aches and people aches god bless you for stepping up to the plate because let me tell you that god sees the sacrifices of the surrender god's, god's eyes are not too dim that he cannot see you god's ears are not too weak that he cannot hear you and his hair is not too that he forgets about you. God sees the service of the sacrifices. Be encouraged this morning. In verse three, he says, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came back to me and testified to the truth that is in you, Gaius. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So here we see that Gaius was a direct disciple of the apostle John. Gaius is commended in verse 5. He says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. See, he's reminding him of how, qual- how good he is and how important he is. Who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth in his name's sake and take nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such. John is reminding Gaius of all the support he's done in the past. Because this is why. The next verse, 9. But I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. This is what was happening, church, is that John was getting ready to send a new minister to here, a new minister to come bring word of the apostle, to put out false doctrine, to spend some time with that local church in Gaius. But Diotrephes, the other church leader, was rejecting God, was rejecting the apostle John. There was a great conflict in this local body great conflict because we see in verse 10 therefore i come i will call to mind his deeds which he does prating against them with malicious words and not content with that he himself does not receive the brethren forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church so here's what i like to say here enters brother spiritual and we're going to end in just a few minutes we have gaius on one side you have Diotrophes on the other here's brother spiritual he was the real man in charge I believe the spirit of these two men can be existing in our churches today I believe there is a spirit and his name might not be Diotrephes But I believe his spirit still lives on in many churches See Diotrephes love to have preeminence among the people Watch out for those self-promoting people My dad used to call them parking lot prophets Who prophely All over because god told them What's best for the church? You know how many letters my dad got in his mailbox At Sunday night that people would drop off by the spirit. They'd feed the fire. My dad had no tolerance for that stuff because he had enough devils to deal with. He didn't need somebody who was self-promoting. That's how the churches are destroyed from the inside out. Sometimes the most dangerous hurt can come from the inside. Church people can hurt you like nobody else. If I had more time, I'd tell you a story. I didn't got time. So I'll tell you at 1130 if you come back. (laughs) I know what it's like to live by church people hurt. I grew up in a church. I know what it's like to be betrayed. Even as an adult, my wife and I started our ministry with extreme opposition. I know what that's like. And many of you know what that's like. Many of you are here because of that. (laughs) Church people, God bless them all. I remember I was talking to one seasoned pastor. I ain't going to call his name. He's a local guy, but he's a great, great powerhouse preacher, man of God. And my dad brought me to him, and we were talking. We were having some conflict, and, and uh, I, my dad told the pastor what was, we were dealing with. And, and he goes, well, that's easy. They just don't love God. <laughs> he said, son, he put his hand on my shoulder. Let me tell you something right now. Put his hand on my shoulder. He was this big guy. Son, church people would be, or he said, church would be so easy and fun without the people. <laughs> but never forget you're here for the people perspective. Guys, ain't got time to get through this, but basically Diotrephes was this guy who was coming along and he was rejecting the work of God. Church, if we're not careful during this time of transition and building, we're going to have the spirit of Diotrephes. You may not like the color of the carpet that's being picked out. We joke about that. I have physically, literally been to churches, and some of you may have, that literally split because the new carpet color was what they did not want. I've, I've seen it, and so have some of you. Some of you may not like the new layout. Well, I think the offering plate should be over here. I think the bathroom should be over there. I think that. Guys, watch out for those people. And if you hear those people, let me know. Let's just say the Lord has given us some gifted people in this local body who can make you like Houdini disappear, you know? We've got 19 acres. Oh, Jesus. I'm supposed to be done. I'm going to wrap this up, seriously. In verse 11, he says, bro, he's talking to Gaius. Gaius, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. For he who does good is of God, and he who does evil has not seen God. Again, what I told you about, 1 John comes up. Guys, the next thing we need to do is we need to preserve the peace. Somebody say Unity preserving the peace is unity guys listen what's going to build a great church is not the good preaching it's not the good singing it's not the pretty carpet it's not the awesome lights what's going to build a church is the unity of the body of Christ that's why the Bible says how beloved how good and pleasant it is when everybody sings hill song how good and pleasant it is when everybody preaches like Stephen Furtick no, he said, Beloved, how good and pleasant it is when you all dwell together in unity, in one mind, and in one accord. Because the Bible says that when they're all in one mind, in one accord, in one place, then the Holy Spirit fell. Listen, unity is not necessarily agreement. Oh, I ain't got time to unpack that. We're supposed to be praying right now to go home. How many give me two minutes? Two minutes. Thank you. Five. Bob told me, so I'll argue with Bob. He gave me five. Listen, church, listen, this Ephesians 4 tells us, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring or striving or struggling to keep the unity of the spirit. How many know that it's almost impossible to get a bunch of people to agree on anything? But let me tell you, we are told to bear with one another when they take your parking spot, bear with one another when they take your seat, bear with one another when they look a little different than you, bear with one another when they think a little different than you, bear with one another when they like something a little different than you because the body says there is one Lord, there's one faith, there is one baptism, and there is one salvation by which all men can be saved, every color, every creed, every background, rich or poor. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Come on, stand to your feet in this place this morning. And I'm going to tell you my last one. Worship team, could you come? We're going we're to just kind of end, end, end like this, just, just start playing something. <laughs> I'm trying, y'all. Come on. Let me tell you right now, guys, listen, there is beauty in variety. Let me just tell you that. 20 years from now, the church, you're not going to remember the color of this carpet. It's not going to matter. What's going to matter to you is how Brother Don and his team greeted you with a big smile. You're going to remember how when you had four kids, Miss Bonnie Pelly and Miss Mary and others brought you food to your door. You're going to remember that when you were in the hospital sick, that Pastor John or Pastor Eddie came and visited you. You're going to remember how prayer, Sister Melinda, came and prayed for you and your family. That's what you're going to remember. And you're going to remember all the countless handshakes and greeting times and all the people that hugged you and all the people that gave to your family showed up at your house with groceries. You're going to remember that church. That's what builds a church. And the last thing is this, we have to be committed to preserving the future. John, after being all his friends beheaded, being doused in boiling oil, put on an island island to die, they couldn't do that, so they brought him back to Ephesus. Here is John who could have gave it all up. He says this, let me recommend one more guy to you, Gaius. I know I'm dying. I know I don't have much left in me, but let me send you one more man. His name is Demetrius. He's a good man. You can read it for you in verse 12. He's a good man. I have many good things to say. John was committed to preserving the future. Church, there comes to be a point in time when church has to stop being about us. I know I'm going to offend some people when I say this. I know I am. Church is not about us okay? There comes a point when we've already made that decision to follow Jesus. I don't care what song you sing. I don't care what version of the Bible you preach from. I don't care what color carpet is there. I want to see my kids up here. I want to see my grandkids up here. And so should you. We have to preserve the future. Because I tell you right now, the competition is winning this battle in so many venues. But i got to tell you, the church is not dead yet. Because we've got some ministers that are raising up children. we got some ministers that are raising up students that are going to take this world for Jesus Christ. But this starts now. You're going to start seeing some younger faces up here. You're going to start seeing the youth up here. You're going to start seeing the children. We're putting together a children's worship team. We're putting together a youth worship team. Guys, I'm serious about this. We have to preserve the future. They need our help. There's something about those great last words that God gave his great men. I don't have time to keep going, Well, let's close our eyes just for a moment. Oh, open your eyes. I got one more slide. Look at this slide. Look at this slide. Gaius was helpful, humble, faithful. He was a servant. He was a unifier. He was spiritual. He was a team player. Theotrophies was prideful, self-seeking, self-promotive. He was a separatist. He was resistant to authority. He was closed-minded. Take a picture of that. Want. and next time you get in a building project and brother frank tells you to do something you don't like to do because i told him to do it take a picture of that who are you gonna be you're gonna be gaius it's okay to be gaius are you gonna be deatrophies come on think about this church the battle is up to you let us pray father we thank you for this great word We thank you, Lord God, for all that you've done in our midst this morning. Father God, let us be challenged. Let us be encouraged. Let us, Father God, to go forth this week and to conquer this world for you in Jesus' name. They're going to just sing a minute of a song. Listen, the altars are open. If you need prayer, prayer team, come on up and make it. Thanks for listening. We trust that God has spoken to you through today's message. If you would like to know more about our church or if you would like to help support the ministry, please go to www.rol-ag.org River of Light Assembly of God A church of His presence, His promises, and all people.